Good morning, church. The scripture reading for today is taken from Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide a face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Let my enemy say I prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord bless you, church. Uh, it has been so good being with you for the last four weeks and bringing you this series on lament. Uh, I personally have been deeply blessed in my own understanding of lament and in my own practice of lament in prayer. I realize that, you know, that every time that I bring, you know, the aches and the pains and the complaints and my heart before God, that it loses its hold over me. Uh, and it releases me every time. And I, I pray the same for you as you learn in this very dark and uncertain season to come before God and to learn how to, how to release yeah, your, your, your pains and your doubts and your questions uh, before Him. This morning, we come to the last, the fourth uh, in the series, uh, Trusting God Deeply. And we're going to look at uh, Psalms 13. Um, the famed musician Michael Card, uh, some of you will know him in his book, A Sacred Sorrow, Reaching Out to God in the Lost Language of Lament, uh, says this. He says that all true songs of worship are born in the wilderness of suffering. All true songs of worship are born in the wilderness of suffering. In the book, as Card reflects on the laments of David, he says that without the rocky terrain of David's lonely life, we would not have many of the Psalms of David that we cherish. In other words, it's David's pain that gave us these wonderful Psalms. Somehow, suffering refines what you trust in. Pain has a way of clarifying our deepest trust. Any loss that we suffer in our lives will show up for us what we really value. They actually reveal our idols. This pandemic will lead to deeper economic woes and in turn bring about more and more emotional and mental issues. We are already finding that to be true, even in Singapore. The foundations we are standing on are truly shaken. And what we really trust in will altogether show up. And pain in that way has a way of bringing clarity. Now, in this last fourth step in our lamenting journey, we arrive at where we want to be in all our lamenting. That is, trust in God. That's the final destination in lamenting. After you've done questioning and complaining and asking boldly, don't just stay in complaints or just making requests. Anchor your lament in deep trust in the Lord. And that is how you bring lament to its appropriate conclusion. Now, Psalms 13 has just six verses, and it's a classic 
lament some. It goes, it goes through all the steps that we have been talking about the past three weeks, and then it lands wonderfully in trust. Now, we will look at this psalm, beginning from step two to step four of the lamenting process, knowing very well that in his despair, David is already turning quickly to God, and that's why he writes this psalm. So I will, I will, I'm going to divide the psalm into verse one and two as complaining, number one, verse three and four as the asking, uh, uh, number two, and then verse five and six as the trusting, number three. So the complaining, verse one to two, the asking, verse three to four, and the trusting, verse five and six. Let's look at the complaining. Again, Psalms 13, verse one and two. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Whatever David is going through, it seems like he has lost confidence that God is still with him. And because of that, he has lost courage to face anything that life may throw at him. Where is God now when when he needs him the most? Where is God when he feels so lost in his darkness? And I love his honesty here. I love the fact that he was incredibly real with his raw emotions before God. D.A. Carson wrote a book on, on lament. He calls it, How Long, O Lord? And in that book, he writes this. He says, there is no attempt in scripture to whitewash the anguish of God's people when they undergo suffering. They argue with God. They complain to God. They weep before God. Theirs is not a faith that leads to dry-eyed stoicism, but a faith so robust it wrestles with God. And that's the picture in these two verses. People, is there an ache in your heart that will, never, that will not go away? Maybe it's a long-term illness and there is no end in sight. Maybe you have been unemployed for months and you want to work, but you can't find a job. And given the current situation, it, it becomes even increasingly more difficult. Maybe you worry about your company's downsizing because of the pandemic. Or you have a child whose heart has been cold towards God for just too long. And I know that we hate those feelings, these feelings. And we would just want to bury them deep somewhere and not even think about, that, about them. And there's always this temptation to turn somewhere else with a pain instead of to God. Some of us may want to medicate our pain, uh, maybe with overeating or, 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 or entertainment or, 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 or pornography or simply becoming cynical or, or bitter towards God. But people, you have a God who is compassionate and whose love toward you is steadfast, as David will soon declare in this psalm. Bring those raw emotions to him. It is better to lament in prayer than to complain to yourself or to somebody else and have them all buried in your soul. Silence towards God when your heart is aching is not a healthy thing. It will kill your soul. In this psalm, 
Four times David cries out, how long, O Lord? Four times. Don't just read the words. Listen to the pain and the confusion and the ache of the heart behind them. He is wondering, oh Lord, will this ache ever end? Now it's important to know that David's feeling of abandonment is not related to some sin that he has committed. We read no confession, no contrition, no acknowledgement of personal guilt, no repentance that might give him that there's some sin that could have led to this in David's life. Now this isn't to say that David was perfect, but at least in this case, the cause of his turmoil isn't because of some sin. And as with David, there will be times in our lives when our suffering is not related to some specific acts of sin. And that would make it even more difficult to handle. It is even more painful when you do not know why you are suffering. And thoughts come to, your, to, our, to our mind to say, that, Lord, do I deserve this? Because I, I didn't quite sign up for this, oh God. And such attacks have the potential to throw us off balance. And David feels that God has forgotten him, that he's hiding his face from him. Theologian Derek Kidner says that what David means here is that he feels God is withholding his help from him. But worse than the pain of, being, of, of, of feeling that God is no longer there to help is that feeling that God has turned his face from David. Now, we all know, David, that he constantly longed to behold God's face, that he loved to seek the face of God. And now the silence of God, the hiddenness of the Lord, was totally baffling to him. It was disturbing. It was an ache in his heart. Job mentioned something very similar to how David felt in Job chapter 29, verse 2 to 5. He says, oh, that I were as in the months of old, the old normal, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me, and that is Job chapter 29, verse 2 to 5. Job feels he is missing out on the friendship of God. His intimacy with God is gone. He is lamenting on the loss of the presence of God and the presence of family. And people, when you feel like you've lost both the presence and the fellowship of family, and the friendship of God is a deep pain in the soul. Back to David. With God, David feels abandoned. That's the first thing. Secondly, with himself, David feels restless. In verse 2, he says, How long must I take counsel in my soul and sorrow in my heart? People, there's a, there's a turmoil of thoughts that are painful. I remember when my family was in this battle for our daughter's healing and restoration last year, how I would be driving in my car 
And then all of a sudden, I will get this bout of scary thoughts. What if this situation will become permanently irreversible? Lord, what if that is, is, is what is happening right now? And my heart would sink and start to ache. I remember at night that I would drift in and out of sleep. And in the drifting in and out of sleep, I would, I would be praying in and out of it. I mean, and so sleep was hardly deep in those months. There, there, there was this turmoil of thoughts. And I, and I don't think that my family and, 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 and I could have, could, have, could have made it through, through that ordeal if not for the many loving folks in Agape who supported us with their love and their prayers and stayed with us throughout those days of ordeal. One, David felt abandoned by God. And two, he was restless with himself. And there was a third element, the external thread. He laments, how long will the enemy be exalted over me? He's saying, Lord, will the enemy have the last say in this attack? Is this going to be the new normal? Is this going to be the new way of life? In summary, in verse 1 and 2, David complains and laments, goes something like this. He's saying, Lord, number one, I'm hurting. Number two, they are winning. And number three, Lord, you don't seem to care. Now we come to the asking. That's number two. And it comes in verses, that is step number three. And it's number two in our, in, in, in our sermon. And it comes to us in verses three and four. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David is asking. Now, if David is here asking God. Now, let me put this to you. Now, if it is really true that God has turned away from David, why pray to him? If God has really forgotten, then why bother? And yet David does pray. He can't help but cry out to the Lord, who deep down he knows is still there. This is the beauty of the lamenting characters in the Bible. You know, you, it could be Job or Habakkuk or Jeremiah, the psalmist, Jesus. Though their hearts were heavy with complaint, they always returned to God in asking. That is how they progressively move in their lamenting journey. Look at David's asking. He says, Lord, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now, Bible scholars say that the sleep of death is most likely a reference to depression or some form of spiritual anguish. Despair can often be seen in someone's face. Now, their voice may sound okay, but their eyes will betray them. I remember that when my children were young, I could tell if they were hiding some sin simply by looking into their eyes. And that would just freak them out. David's emotional anguish was visibly noticeable. 
He was asking that God would restore a spiritual sparkle in his eyes. Oh God, make my eyes gleam with your grace and your mercy once again. That's what he was saying. He says the enemy should not rejoice just because he is shaken. Here is warfare praying. The one insidious thought the enemy will plant into your mind to defeat you when you are shaken is that to tell you that the situation you are in is totally hopeless, that there is nothing that you can do about it, and there is no more hope for you, that God has forgotten you, that the future looks bleak, and there's no point praying. It is then that the light will go out of your eyes, and you resign to that thought, and you let the enemy prevail over you. And this is what David is fighting. This is where he is wrestling. This is why this is a this is bold asking, and David knows that he cannot find that light for his eyes unless the Lord lights up his eyes. So, despite the pain of feeling abandoned, despite the inner turmoil of his soul, despite the present threat of the enemy, David makes a bold ask. It's always courageous. It's always bold. When you dare to step up, rise up and ask in the midst of your depression and your discouragement, in the midst of your spiritual anguish and the aches of your heart, that's bonus in prayer. David says, consider me, which can be translated as, look at me, Lord. He says, Lord, look at me and light up my eyes. And now he's on his way in his lamenting journey to trusting God. And that brings us to the third point, the trusting. Psalms 13, verse 5 and 6, the last two verses. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The but like the yet in Psalms 22, is the turning point. He says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. It's a choice that he makes amidst his pain. In the midst of, of feeling forgotten by God, being restless in his soul, threatened by the enemy, he declares, I trust in your steadfast love. We've got to learn to do the same, people. When God's presence feels like a fast-fading memory, when his love seems to be evaporated under the hot sun, when that happens, do what David did. Contrary to every fiber of your being that demands you say otherwise, declare to the heavens, but I trust in your steadfast love. Now, why do you do that? Simply because God's love will never fail you. Though hidden from your view, though far from what you are feeling, God's love for you lives on. Steadfast love in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word chaset. It's a picture of God's loyalty to his promises and his deep, unchanging commitment to his people. Another way of saying it is it's covenant love. When a husband vows to love his wife until death do us part, 
that is chastened love, that is steadfast covenantal love. The husband will not always have these warm, fuzzy feelings for his wife. He might even get angry at her sometimes. But if his love is chastened love, he will be committed to her. He will be faithful to her and none other. He will care for her even if she fails him. And he will love her no matter what. And God's, God has committed himself by covenant to his people like a husband is, has to his bride. And David says, I trust in that committed, chastened love. Notice how David chooses to trust in the Lord in this despairing state that he is. He's still depressed. In fact, nothing has changed. But he says, my heart, this aching heart, this heavy heart, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. In other words, the word salvation can be translated deliverance. My heart shall rejoice in your deliverance, even though it has not yet come to pass. From there, David just takes off spiritually. It's almost like the Holy Spirit suddenly lifts him up from pain into praise. He burst out and says, I will sing to the Lord. He began the psalm with sighing, with complaining. But he ends it with singing and in confidence. In between the sighing and the singing, the complaining and the confidence was a difficult journey of being real with God. Bringing his raw emotions and thoughts before God. And people, that, those two in-between steps are so necessary. And now David has a song to offer when he looks back at the whole way that he has been led. He closes by saying, God has dealt bountifully with him. The basic idea of the word translated dealt bountifully is completeness. David is saying God has dealt completely with him, wholly with him. In other words, God has granted him more than what he has desired. The Lord's giving has exceeded my asking. His blessings have exceeded my complaining. He has dealt with me completely. Now, people, in closing, while many of us may already know well all these things, the fact remains that trusting God in the dark times of our lives is it's a very difficult thing. I have been there many times, and I know, because the realities that you are in does not match up to the hopes that you have in God. And, I, and, and, and thankfully, the Bible does not just give us, uh, doesn't just help us to trust God, which is commands and directives. The Bible actually gives us stories. Stories are very uplifting. They're very encouraging. They are very graphic. And, and, and in closing, I want to turn to one such story that has encouraged me time and again when I personally have felt the hiddenness of God, the absence of God in the reality of the circumstances that I've been through. And I, and I, I know very well that we are familiar with the story of Joseph in Genesis 
Now, for most of Joseph's life, God seems to be missing in action. I mean, when Joseph prayed to be delivered from the pit that his brothers had thrown him in, did God really hear him? And all those years when everything was going wrong with Joseph's life, was God really there for him? Many times Joseph may have cried out, Lord, where are you? Have you forsaken me, O God? How long will it take before the dreams that you have given me would ever come true? And Joseph must have prayed for a good 20 years. And God was saying no, no to every specific request he made for all those 20 years. And most people would have given up. And if Joseph had given up, everything would have been lost. Somehow, Joseph knew that though God appears hidden, it doesn't mean that he is absent. He was still in control and he trusted the Lord. And so in the face of sexual temptation, he could refuse to give in, saying, I will not sin against God. This is the same God who has not heard any one of his prayers for deliverance. And yet, Joseph chooses to remain faithful to him. And then in prison, Joseph turns again to God for help to interpret the dream. And despite all the years of unanswered prayers, Joseph is still turning to God. Here's a man who was asked, whose asking was so bold and whose trust in God was so deep. He was trusting in the chesed of God. He had an and he had an intact, intimate relationship with God. Despite the fact that there was no tangible evidence that God was giving him anything that he had asked for. In all the hiddenness of God, Joseph did not turn away from God. And we must do the same if we are to trust God deeply. There were two occasions in the Bible where Dothan, is mentioned. You remember they was mentioned for the first time when uh, with Joseph when he was crying out from the pit. Joseph cries to God for deliverance and rescue when he was thrown in the pit and that was in Dothan. But God does nothing. Then many years later, that same spot, Dothan, becomes a, a, a city. And now Elisha, the prophet, cries out to God for deliverance in Dothan, and there is an immediate massive miracle. On the surface, it appears like God ignores Joseph and responds to Elisha. But people know. God was watching. God was just as watchful in his hiddenness as he was in the miracle. His chastened love was alive in both instances. God was just as present and active in the slow answers to Joseph as in the swift answers to Elisha. He was as lovingly involved in the silence of the pit as he was in the noisy, spectacular answer to Elisha. Now listen. Have you been discouraged that someone else saw an answer to the prayer that you have been praying? And you wondered, Lord, why leave me out? Why are you taking so long for me? Why is it so easy, Lord, for them to have their prayers answered 
And why is it taking so long for me? Lord, are you forsaking me? Lord, am I left out? Remember people, God is still working in you. Don't give up on him. Trust in his steadfast love for you. Centuries after Joseph, another king who was rejected by his own, sold for silver coins, he was betrayed by his brothers and unjustly put into chains. And instead of just throwing him into a pit or throwing him into prison, they sentenced him to death. He too fervently prayed, asking the father if the cup of suffering and death could pass from him. But God said no. And Jesus yielded to the will of the father. And he dies for his enemies, forgiving them as he does. Imagine that you have been an avid follower of Jesus. And you were there that day when Jesus was on the cross. And you have seen his power to heal and do miracles. You have heard his wisdom of, of his speech, the quality of his character. You are thrilled by the prospects of his leadership. More and more people are flocking to hear him. And they are all saying there is none like this man. And you imagine that he will bring about a golden age for Israel. But then now you are at the cross and you're watching Jesus die. And around you, you're hearing, hearing people saying, I've heard it, I've had it with this God. How could he abandon the best man we've ever seen? I don't see how God would bring anything good out of this. Now, what would you say in that moment? Would you agree with the crowd? You're looking at an absolute beauty. But because you cannot fit it into your limited understanding, you may be in danger of walking away from God. Don't do it. Do what Jesus did. Trust God to deliver you. Do what Joseph did. Trust God even in the dungeon. Do what David did. Trust God even when an enemy appears to be exalted. Listen, people. Even though we cannot know all the particular reasons for our crosses, we can look at the cross and know that God is working even though he appears hidden. Now, one last thing before I close. In the last book of the Bible, in Revelations in chapter 6, the martyrs who have died because of persecution for their faith are now with God in heaven and they are lamenting. They're asking God, Lord, how long before you judge those who avenge our blood? These saints are distressed that God is so slow to act. And yet they are told to wait a little longer. They are told to trust God. Listen, if even the saints in heaven are told to wait for God to act, how much more we? So don't you ever give up on God, people. He's on the throne and he's in control. He will intervene and he will act in his time. Meantime, he's doing a deep, rich, mighty work in your heart. 
His steadfast love endures forever. He will bring his purposes to pass in your life. Keep trusting him and sing with David. I will sing to the Lord because he had dealt bountifully with me. Remember, in the end, in eternity, his giving is going to exceed all of your asking. And you can look to him for that and you can trust him deeply and completely. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads together. Our dear Father, we thank you, Lord, again for your word. We thank you, Father God, that though you may, be, may appear hidden, you are not absent, O oh God. Lord, although our prayers remain unanswered in the face of other people's prayers being answered, Lord, you are still with us and you're doing a deep work and your purposes for us will be totally accomplished. You will deal bountifully with us, O oh God. And Father, help us to trust in your chastened love, your unfailing love, O oh God. Help us, O oh Father God, never to give up on you, on praying. And Father, while we move, O oh Father God, from the sign to the singing, Lord, the journey in between of coming before you pouring our hearts, being honest with you, bringing, oh Father God, our complaints, our concerns. Lord, that's the only healthy channel by which, oh God, that we could bring these things is to you because you bring us healing. Lord, forgive us when we have medicated ourselves, oh Lord, through other means, whether it's entertainment or food or, 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 or company of friends or pornography or, or, or medication or whatever it is, oh God, or alcohol or addictions. Father, forgive us, oh Lord, and set us free from all those things that we will return to you and we will pray, oh God, learning to lament, learning to come to you and waiting on you, oh God, to hear and answer our prayers. May our trust be in you and you alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name.